You're listening to Secret Sonics, a podcast exploring the creative side of music production. Welcome back to Secret Sonics. Today I am joined by Hillel Reiner, who I actually found out about because he produced a good friend of mine's uh, a new song for a good friend of mine, and I heard it, and I was really blown away by the production. And the next day I was on Facebook and I saw that he posted a video um, explaining how he uses layering and music production. I was also really impressed with that video. And this this video was in Hebrew. I'll share a link, but I don't think most of you will understand it in any event. Uh, so this, this is an up-and-coming guy. He's only 26, born and raised in Jerusalem, started producing at age 19. At the age of 22, he started production work at Risotto Studios, one of Israel's well-known recording studios, where he worked alongside Shai Sadia and gained a lot of experience in the analog world. After that, he moved to The Slick, a studio in Tel Aviv, where he produced almost 100 songs. And he just recently started working on his fifth album. Among many others, he has worked with David Lavi, Tamar Friedman, Daniel Zamir, and Michael Grissamer. I don't even know how to pronounce his name. These are some uh, well-known Israeli artists that may be less known abroad, but I have a feeling this kid is going places. So, yeah, welcome to the podcast, Hillel. Thank you. Thank you, man. Um, so tell us a bit about how you got started getting involved in music production. Um, I worked in, I was actually, when I was a kid, there's a shelter, a public shelter in Jerusalem that just uh, receives, you know, kids that want to play music. And I started going there when I was 14. And when I was 19, they received a budget and opened a small studio. And I mm-hmm. asked for a key, and they gave it to me. And I did not know anything about music production or recording or the softwares or anything. But I received a facility to trial and error. And two years later, an album came out with more than 20 musicians on it. And it was a very interesting project. And I learned I'm a producer more than anything else. So I just went there. Amazing. Can you tell me a bit more about the shelter? Uh, what exactly was it and who was going there? Um, dropout kids like I was. Uh, uh-huh. A lot of, you know, metalheads. Mm-hmm. And that place was, pre- it was, it's a life-changing place for me. Because they taught me music. I don't have any formal education. And that's where I learned to play guitar um, and just to play. They they give a facility to kids, you know, just to practice. There are two rooms. One is a rehearsal room. The other is just, you know, a chill zone. And I was there a lot when I was in high school. Okay, amazing. Yeah. Was there a song or album that really opened your mind to the possibilities of what could be accomplished with music production? During the years, it changed. Yeah, in the beginning, it was, you know, metal albums. And I think when I started thinking about the fact that I'm now starting to produce an album, I really looked up to Oren Lavi, if we're talking about Israeli artists, which is an amazing artist. He also self-produced himself. Um, Who else can I think of? Back in the day, it was, you know, Kings of Leon... Interesting. And uh, nowadays, I'm completely blown away by Still Woozy and Glass Animals. Very produced type of albums. 
alongside that very organic stuff like MFA, which is like a big brass band. How do you pronounce it? MFA. MFA? Yeah, E-M-E-F-E. Okay, I'll have to do some research and yeah, check it out. They're great. Amazing. Um, so when you're working with an artist and they approach you to work on a song, what are some of the criteria you look for in terms of gauging their potential? I start off with conversations. I don't immediately go to the instruments or to the computer or a whole few sessions can go by with just talking. I want to know... There's also a big difference between a person's taste as a music consumer and a music producer. Um, and I try to figure out both in each artist I work in, I, I work with. Mm-hmm. And it can take a while until we figure out his aesthetics, um, both as a consumer as, and as a producer. And I just try to be very... honest and accurate to his taste or her uh-huh and and do you and do you have a feeling whether you think it will be a good fit or it won't be a good fit yeah for sure um and also where for that matter like I've recently worked with a religious woman that uh, wrote most of her music in her living room because of a family situation. And I told her, listen, I think we should produce it in your living room because that's where it's, you know, the most accurate place. And we went for that. Like I'm trying, again, to be very honest and accurate for the artist I'm working with. Mm-hmm. So what do, you, what do you listen for the first time you hear a song? And, uh, and to add to that question, do you usually want to listen to a demo or do you want to hear like a live performance or... 99.9% I do not want to hear the demo. I want to hear it live because the way I see music production, I am sort of a converter. I convert what they want to uh, you know, create emotionally from the SPL world to the DBFS world. And I want to understand what it is emotionally that they want to create. And then start working on the song and arrange and you know what not. Um, so most of the time I'll be looking for what it is that the artist is trying to make me feel. Mm-hmm. And that is also a big topic as itself. Sure. Because you know you can play the song twice and it'll sound different. Absolutely. And that's why a lot of the like the conversation phase is so important because mm-hmm. I also want the dude or the the woman to tell me like I really want to understand what they want to, to accomplish emotionally. Where's the song coming from inside yeah. of them and where where does it want to hit because a lot of the t- I don't know people can come to me saying I want to be uh, very poppy and during the process realize that they actually want way more honesty. And self-accuracy, we'll call it. Actualization, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And way more than they thought. Because, uh-huh. So if someone will come to me, and I'll, I'll really feel that they do not really care. They want it to be big. Then it has artistic consequences. And if someone else comes, and I feel like he's saying it, but he doesn't know that he actually is going through a journey with himself, an artistic journey, then... I can go there knowing that two sessions from now he'll 
take the steering wheel to a different direction. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, I wow. see the, yeah, I, I, I really changed my mindset regarding production from, like, in the beginning, I, I used to approach a song in, like, a mindset of, I'm going to make this as cool as I can. Mm-hmm. And now I'm more, I realize how much of a human job this is and yeah. an emotional job and as the converter as the the person who knows this medium better i need to take my artist by the hand very gently and you know help them out through this process find what they're really trying to do yeah and guide them mm-hmm. in a sense amazing Uh, so when you're getting going, do you have like a go-to instrument or sound bank that you use to get the ball rolling or is it more spur of the moment kind of thing? Go-tos are generally something I avoid. Mm-hmm. I, I used to think that that's the way to go and I built myself a template, which was like, I thought, you know, this is the reverb I like, this is blah, 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 blah. It's mm-hmm. actually way more confining than anything, A and B. It's somewhat arrogant to think you know what will fit or what you like or and not be open to surprises. So actually my current uh, template is empty. Like I have the sense ready and let's say on the reverb sense and the delay sense, I just have all my plugins in disabled. Yeah. like and I search. So regarding music production, not mixing, I have my tool set for sure but I try not to be confined I do obviously you know I, I have my taste yeah which is somewhat of a you know go-to maker but I try once in a while as as frequently as I can to think all right the thing I wanted to do right now what is exactly the opposite and go for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you like stop yourself in your tracks and say like I'm about to reach for you know some plugin that's going to manipulate the audio in some way and be like wait a minute what's the opposite thing I could do you literally stop yourself in in your tracks sometimes yeah and even I don't know I, I've reached I don't know let's say I put uh, I don't know a plugin that does this or that just duplicate it I don't know and it did a great job but I don't know let's let's try moving it I don't know up the chain down the chain duplicating I don't know just surprising myself yeah. in order to to not be that dude that just sounds like himself mm-hmm. I like that that's yeah, fun so take us through on a tour through the creation of a typical song you'd normally work on like chronologically how does it come together um, so first off we'll start in a way I start off with the composing stage mm-hmm. like I won't go to the computer before I I'm sure the song is well structured it's in the right key yeah um, in the right tempo so you're just using like a metronome on your phone and writing it down on a piece yeah. of paper yeah recording on my phone for that matter you know mm-hmm. if, if something works and the groove is right and this you know again structure it's it's very and tempo it's unbelievable yeah and key every uh, these you know elements which can be sometimes, skipped upon are critical you know the it's something that when you're composing a song you're not really thinking about but half a step up or down or literally one bpm up or down can yeah. make a really really big difference totally 
Yeah, I have a, I have like a, a theory that certain BPMs just tend to work better than other BPMs. Yeah. So again, like I, I don't really have go to, so I, yeah. I keep my my uh, your mind open. Yeah. Totally. But I'll I'll go for that, and I have songs that the BPM will change several times, up or down, one or two or three or seven. I don't mind. Yeah. In Swiss song, actually, we have tempo changes. Yeah. This is the song I was mentioning at the beginning of the episode. Yeah, Rodan's great band. Yeah, and, I'll, put a, uh, I'll put a link below to you can check them out. And uh, we, you know, it's something I really invest quite a lot of time in. So that's the first stage. I want to hear the song naked, uh, quote unquote. Yep. And then I'll start arranging and figuring out what my palette is. So if we'll go back to the, to the former question, the go-tos I'll have will be built after I have my palette. Mm-hmm. for the artist or for the project like if we're working on an EP I'll figure out what colors I'm going to use in that EP and I'll go for that mm-hmm. okay, when you say colors you're talking about like the tones yeah if it's strings and a beat or strings and drums or uh, synths and I don't know piano so that could be dependent on the genre or it could be dependent on on the taste anything. of the artist yeah. and what's you know correct for the music and I'll try to you know again make a statement and figure out my palette before uh, everything before or you during. get to work yeah and in, and it, it's modular you know it can change in are you work. thinking about these things like as you're walking around doing dishes at night or is it like something that you're just like on the moment you're like oh let's do it let's try this both both yeah. amazing and you're not afraid to try something and see if it works or not if i'm not trying i apparently don't like the artist enough <laughs> <laughs> good uh, uh what influences your decisions when it comes to structure and arrangements um both my how i feel i mean if we're talking about structure then i don't know sometimes songs need to flow and if i feel that this or that does not flow then will work on that and sometimes songs don't need a flow they actually need to be very sharp and i just want the song to feel good mm-hmm. and you know there are more technical stuff i don't know let's say uh uh you know fundamental frequencies i won't put uh i, I when i'm arranging something i'm trying to be very aware of what goes where mm-hmm. i won't put the piano where the vocals are or the guitar or whatever trying yeah. to be very organized it's give no, everything its own space arrangement 101 is like make sure things do not clash and you know fix it in the mix is the worst mistake anyone can do you've heard just yeah. A, yeah, yeah. a song I'm working on I'm working into the mix I don't have this phase of uh, you know I'm very intentful in my work yeah I do stuff um, yeah you can say with, with a lot of intent yeah yeah awesome um do you have any templates? We kind of touched upon this. And and that said, is there anything you use to work faster and get inspired quicker? Um, I have templates for mixing, which again are... Yeah, my template is something I've worked on for years, like really. And now it's I have this funneling type of template. Mm-hmm. Um, like a top-down top, top down mixing kind of thing? Yeah, it's not the way I work technically necessarily, but it is in that way. You know, the drums go to a bus that goes to a stem. Um, uh-huh. Each uh, group of, you know, each section of the song has its own sends and returns. 
Um, Interesting. And yeah, they also get funneled into the stem because I've I've had this situation. We you have know, to print when, stems for people. Yeah, and it's just, so you're just you know, like, you have the drum reverb in the vocal stem. It's annoying. And so it's very organized and my my sends are there ready covering, to go. Covering your ass for, exactly. for when, when, when clients ask you for stem, I just stem bounces. Click, right click it, commit, and it's there. And uh, so that's regarding mixing. Yeah. But again, everything is empty. Like I... I don't let myself be lazy. I go through a searching phase of what's the correct reverb for this thing. And mm -hmm. if I feel it's correct also for a different section, then I'll drag it. Yeah. But I'll go through the process of thinking, is it correct or not? So can you tell me how you work so quickly? Because you were telling me before we even started recording that you work really, really quickly. And from what I've gathered, templates are the way to work quickly. And you're saying you don't really use templates in the traditional sense. So what is your workaround? How do you get it going fast? Um, I think I've invested a lot of time in developing my taste. And again, being intentful, like I really don't like the approach of, yeah, just let's do it so we'll have it. No, I don't really like that. If I'm plugging in a guitar, I'm looking for the tone and I'm looking for the range where I'm playing. So everything will serve it. And again, if I need to go back and fix, I'll go back and do it. But being very intentful and knowing what you like more and less and what works for you more or less um, is the way to go. Um, because... You know, I know where I want to go. And, and when I do not, I still know the general guidelines, which are, again, don't clash frequency-wise. Um, be cool. <laughs> I don't know, do cool stuff. Uh, stay, stay interesting. And that's it. So if something works, it's there. And if it doesn't work, then I'll invest how, however, how much time it needs mm -hmm. until it does. And then I just move on. Amazing. What are some things you do to get and get something to sound cool? What are some things you tend you tend to do? I distort everything to start off. Mm -hmm. um, almost, I'm fixated. You know, distortion is my I uh, the way I see it is distortion is compression and EQ for, you know, pros. Mm -hmm. Because it's you know an EQ uses the harmonic content you have, and alters it. I yeah. mean, it, you know, you can put it up or down. Right. Distortion alters the harmonic content. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, regarding compression, and you, we all know that you can do the, the experiment yourself. You can see you feel the same level, but the peak level is completely different. The, the, SP, the RMS is completely different. I know, it's amazing. We can talk about it for years. Never mind. Yeah, we don't, we don't have to get that fine detail. But. Yeah, so the way, there are two things. I use... I alter the tone. Like I can use a piano. You saw it in the video I posted. Yeah. I can use traditional stuff, but I'll try to make them interesting either with um, processing, you know, audio processing like distortion or modulation of some sort mm -hmm. or layering or whatever. I just, you know what? In short, I try to, to surprise myself. Mm-hmm. If it's too regular, unless the artist wants it or the song calls for it, I just try to surprise myself. Amazing. Yeah. Do weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Do weird stuff. I like yeah, that. Distorted. That should be your that should be your trademark. 
my trademark Hiller is... Reiner, do weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my trademark is do make music, not excuses, actually. That's also really good. Uh, yeah, a lot of people like to make excuses and like to yeah. just sit around and complain instead the of actually doing it. The future is here. Yeah, just do it. There's no good excuse nowadays, no matter what gear you have, to make lousy music. There's no excuse, really. Yeah, totally. Uh, so what are some of your favorite instruments? Could be virtual or real, and why? <laughs> I really love strings. Like, uh, I use LA scoring. I also use live performers. Depends on the budget, obviously. Yeah. I love strings. I love piano. Um, I use Keyscape. And also, like, since Keyscape came, I do not record live piano anymore. It's not worth nor not not the money not the effort it's like it's an amazing 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 library yeah and and also regarding uh being creative i can go into keyscape and just look for a word i'm not familiar with and just press it and see you know how it sounds like. right i've seen the well, keyscape is part of omnisphere and i've seen i actually don't own it but uh i was with uh mendy who was a previous guest on this podcast and he was showing me just searches random stuff in omnisphere and then crazy patches come up yeah so uh, you just get inspired instantly to do yeah. something new spectra sonics are really great they have their tone you know they have their signature spectra tone sonics, which is right. it's, it's a bit of a problem but um yeah so piano and strings are very very important in my own music for sure and what else do i like i don't know since you know i i love everything i try again i try at least not to have go-tos i'm currently in a piano and strings phase but amazing yeah since are also there so do you, do you want to get maybe a little bit deeper into what you're talking about layers i t- told the audience about the facebook video that you posted in hebrew mm-hmm. uh and you just mentioned it really quickly in passing so you want to kind of go into detail about that and talk tell us about it um yeah, it's a it's a technique I wanted to share that I use in a few a few manners. Um, one will be to be a bit more unique. Let's say uh, the example I gave in that video was taking a piano and then putting another layer of, uh, I think it was a chimatron or whatever. I think it may have been a celeste or something. Yeah, maybe that uh, will give it just a unique texture texture um, that is a bit more. I don't know, unique. Yeah. And the other way I would use it, maybe one library doesn't give me exactly what I want. Um, I showed a, a free Spitfire library, Labs. It's great. But the dynamics are just crap. So I took a Keyscape patch and just took the left hand in order to, to make that piano feel more like I wanted it to sound. Mm-hmm. And... So you're basically using two different piano instruments to make yeah. one cohesive piano sound. Yeah, and I can use more for that matter. Mm-hmm. I can sometimes, uh, even uh, you know, when I go into deeper details, I can put that more of the unique thingy um, only in specific places where I want it to, f- to sound more unique. Mm-hmm. So yeah, layering, it can, there's also another option I didn't show on the video. Sometimes I can use it instead of an EQ because again, EQ is very limited. Yeah. Um, so sometimes if I I program a synth and it didn't really have the harmonic content because either I didn't program it good enough or it just I've reached a point which is great but just not enough, I'll program another another thing with I don't know a different kind of synthesis 
which will create that harmonic content that lacks in the first one. Kind of like putting a second microphone on a piano and blending it into taste or an amplifier yeah, or something like that. Exactly. Is there anything you do specifically in your productions that you think gives you a trademark sound? Well, my quote-unquote trademark sound is something I am not familiar with enough. Um, I've recently, I don't know if recently, but people hear stuff I do and they were like, you did this, right? And I don't hear it, but other people do. So maybe That's I'm not the... <laughs> yeah, I've, I've actually sat with a client... I'm working with now and put on a song I produced a year ago or even more and I thought it's very different from any, anything I do and I put it on he's like you produced this I'm like whoa <laughs> nice how'd you know and he said there's this sound I have no idea again I think it all comes what back are they, to what do they tell you it is they don't really um, I think it comes back to taste so I there's a signature sound that you don't know what it is Basically. Again, I go for what I like. I go for what feels good to me. And if you like my taste, you'll like my shit. And if you don't, you, you won't. And yeah. my, uh, I can't stress enough how developing your taste, both as an artist and a producer, will be the game changer more than anything. More yeah. than technique, more than gear. Like sit down, listen to music and figure out or create music, both. And figure out what you like more or less that will make you what that will give you that signature sound yeah yeah i think dave pensado is famous for having said they pay us for our taste mm. uh so yeah definitely how do you balance your creative vision with what the artist is going for do you worry about what the artist might think i worry a lot because sometimes they just they don't have the they didn't develop their taste enough um but when I trust an artist and an artist's taste, then it's no worries because there. I think there are two things to to note. Like there's taste, and then there's quality. Regarding quality, I'll you know I'll I'll stand up. But if it's a matter of taste, like I like something, and the artist likes something else, then I'll go for his vision because it's his song, it's his name. He's paying me to be actually an extension of his hands yep. and his ears and legs and whatever. So I'm there for him. Um, but if he is hurting the quality of the product, again, quote unquote, yeah. then I'll, I'll stand up for it. So I try to, and, and there's an emotional uh, process to go through because a lot of the times sure, the, the artist will want something I don't and I'll emotionally I'll be like what but I like the other thing better but yeah, especially so, you know it, it, in the end of the day it is the artist's song but you also do put in a lot of heart and you know a lot of heart and like I tell people all the time music production is emotional labor like sure. at the end of the day you're almost as invested in the song as the artist you're collaborating with true true and like you know if you do a guitar solo that you really love and the guitar and the uh and the artist hates it and then it's like oh man i worked so hard i love this i thought it was great for the song yeah it's tough so i try to 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 disconnect these type of emotions mm -hmm. and stay focused on both the quality of the song and the artist's vision and, uh, you know, I do really want to like the song in the end, but 
Um, it does. It doesn't have to be my way. There are a few paths. Yeah, totally. I I think Tzvi was even telling me with the song that you produced for him that there were some things that he fought you on that mm-hmm. he really wanted. Yeah, true. And at the end of the day, he's really happy. Yeah. And uh, so I I don't know what the that that process was like because I wasn't in the room. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but clearly there was enough. Uh, compromise between the two of you to make something that was unique and and special. Exactly, I think within with artists you work with, it's very important to um, to with the unexperienced ones to make it clear that it's a relationship, and you need to keep the conversation open. If you feel something, I want to know about it. Let's discuss. Let's have an artistic discussion. That will lead us because we're both in the same. We have the same goal. We want it to sound great. We want it to be happy with it. Yeah. So, if you're open with one another, and you're also open uh, for you know criticism and whatnot, then it'll be an amazing process, way beyond music. I guarantee. I had amazing human experiences with my artists. Amazing tears and whatnot. Wow. So, so uh, one thing I didn't mention in the intro and something that you told me that you do is uh, nomadic recording. Uh, you think of yourself as a nomadic producer. Do you want to just quickly tell the audience about that? Yeah, for sure. I, I grew up in heavy-duty studios with a lot of gear. And I thought that this is the way a producer needs to look like. You need to have a studio with uh, gear and blah, 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 blah. But actually looking at myself... My first album was recorded in the shelter, in a public shelter. The second in a soon-to-be-demolished house. The third in a Druzi village in the north. The fourth in around apartments in the... Like, I realized I don't work that way. And actually, nowadays, you know, we're new school producers. I've been doing this for seven years, but, you know, it's not all that much. And the industry has changed so much in so many ways... But producers still feel like they need to have their heavy-ass studio. And there's a lot of fun. You know, the, I think the, the real uh, thought came when I realized that the sketch recordings from the living room or bedrooms of vocals of my artists, they beat out the recordings of, you know, going through a... I don't know, 20 grand, 40 grand yeah. uh, vocal chain. Yeah. And it does not, that, that made me realize that people write music in that way, in, in these spaces. And I want performance way more than anything. So I yeah. bought gear that serves this purpose. I can, I have, you know, API 512s and they sound great. I have a vintage 414. And a few pencil mics, uh, Neumann 184. And I have the variety of recording gear, which is high-end, that is just foldable. I have 20 minutes. If you give me 20 minutes, I can fold my, like, everything and put it in my car and go wherever. Mm -hmm. And again, the mentality is make music, not excuses. And if in your bedroom I'll get a better performance, then screw Every commercial recording st- studio mm-hmm. does not matter. So I do maintain the quality of the gear I'm used to from the heavy-duty studios, but um, in a nomadic way that serves me. And How do you deal with acoustics in such situations? 
it's rare to get to a place which is very like it's unbearable mm-hmm. um it's not ideal but a what is b again performance is way more important than anything totally so if in the end i'll need to make a telephone type filter screw it that's what you'll do yeah i want i want to be inspired you know i've produced songs in wood cabins and in the biggest studios around i don't mind i just want to you know i've realized you're looking for inspiration not not a room yeah i or not a specific room exactly like in the beginning i thought um gear will make the change and then i understood that skill set will yeah so i invested enough time on my skill set to be confident enough to know when something works and and when something doesn't so yeah. if it doesn't work I'll, i don't know I'll, i'll make it work in a different way mm-hmm. have you ever been like okay i can't work here let's move to another room yeah <laughs> so you do have a limit i guess but it needs to work it needs to work it needs to sound good yeah and uh and do you find yourself getting inspired from these different areas very the my second album which i mentioned was in a very old house in uh the german colony and each room was in a different size the ceiling was high and really had a different tone and the ep is actually me moving between the rooms i wrote a song in each room with a different friend written and recorded and yeah space has a lot of impact on how i feel also you know the 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 place i live in for that matter i won't go if it doesn't i won't live in a place that doesn't inspire me mm-hmm. so yeah and the, also both the sound and how it looks visually are very it, it's something i count you know i you, take in mind you get either voodoo from you get like voodoo from a room yeah amazing um most of us tend to fluctuate between high and low levels of creativity do you do anything specific when you need to get inspired um yeah so yeah I, i either leave i take a break and come back fresh or i just again i have a few techniques i use for myself either the 180 thing you know thinking about exact what's exactly the opposite of what i am thinking about right now um or just going for random stuff you know a lot of the times i'll just throw my hands on Actually, you know what? I I'm a Pro Tools user and one of my favorite tools is the Ableton Push. I bought an Ableton Push and I used it on Pro Tools which makes no sense whatsoever. What what exactly is an Ableton Push? It's a controller that is completely integrated with by with, software with, with Ableton? Ableton, yeah. Okay. And on Pro Tools it makes no sense. It's like a bunch of buttons um in eight rows so even like visually it makes no sense wow this is like that beat maker thing yeah it's it, like if it, you use it that way I, i build piano parts with it really and string parts yeah it's, it's like a midi controller basically yeah yeah so again like uh it's not integrated with pro tools whatsoever and using this uh tool in a manner that makes no sense makes me go to places i would never go to on a piano which i also have Um I can use the piano as a MIDI controller but throwing my hands around the push makes me go to voices and voicings that I would never go for if I had a piano because I'm not a pianist. Amazing. So it's, it seems to me like you use a lot of technology and modern day 
uh, yeah, modern day technology basically to to work around. Yeah, instances just, where you would be where you would be stuck if you only if you were limited to an acoustic instrument. Uh, in a way, I can also use acoustic instruments in ways that again, I, I the main thing is keep myself surprised. Let's say the the last song I've worked on, the dude uh, really uh, wanted an acoustic guitar. So I I wanted to think how I can make it very interesting, or I don't know, very, but, you know, make it interesting. I took my uh, my card and cut it up, put it between the strings, and made it, looked for the spot where it vibrated and created a tone that was surprising. It, it was clear it's an acoustic instrument, but it wasn't as obvious as just, you know. Putting up a mic in front of a mic. Uh, yeah, guitar. I just keep, I, I'm. It's like a credit card? Oh, your business card. My business card, yeah. Yeah. I cut it up and put it between the strings until it sounded good. And, you know, it, it gives the artist the feeling that something cool is happening. Also, it gives me this feeling. And again, like the, the general, to answer your question, the general thing is keep myself surprised. And if I'm using an acoustic instrument, use it in, the, use it in a surprising way. Um, unless again, like going for the obvious is also an artistic approach. And I am not afraid of, you know, cliches, but if I want to be unique and I want to be creative, then part of it is just, uh, not having go-tos and thinking outside of the box. Do you have go-to session musicians when needed? Um, I have a palette, um, and I'll try to, it, I mean, it will vary both by the budget of the production and the artistic need because not everyone can do everything. Um, but sometimes people can't really afford um, this, you know, 100% precise uh, player. So yeah, I have a variety of, let's say, drummers or whatever string uh, session players that I'll use both artistically and just budget. Yeah. Um, yeah. I Most of the time, I, I don't know if most of the time, but a lot of the cases, I play almost everything. Like drums is one of the only things that I will not compromise on. Uh-huh. Like if you don't have budget for a cello player, I'll fake it. If it'll sound good. And if it won't sound good, I'll, I'll get an alternative. Really, um, so yeah. you, f- you find that that you'd rather use like a cello VST than than you know slate drums or you know for sure. Wow, yeah. I guess real drummers bring something special to the table. It's uh, it's uh, it's really hard to fake. Really, it really is. In terms of like the 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 the, the way they play or the sounds or both. Yeah, dynamics, tone. You know, the the sound of the drums have so much impact on the final sound, um, and the groove and the dynamics and everything so yeah i'm i love drums it's one of my favorite instruments and you can hear i think most of the times especially in uh very acoustic type songs yeah so yeah if if there's a drum uh needed it won't be like it'll be a live drummer got it but if it's an electronic song then you're yeah. not li- you're not limited to that yeah so sometimes, yeah, I get to play everything if it's electronic. Right, right. Amazing. And who mixes and masters the music you create? I mix most of the times. I would love not to, but 
by the mixing stage, usually there's not much budget left. And my guideline is if I'm sending this song to be mixed by someone else, he needs to be better than I am. And these guys are expensive. Excuse my arrogance. So if an artist can afford it, we'll go to one of Israel's top-notch mixers. And if not, then I'll mix it. Got it. And mastering, I usually send out. Amazing. And you have a go-to mastering engineer? If it's in Hebrew, I'll send it to Aran, Aran Lavi, who was amazing. And um, it, again, it's a budget thing. You know, mastering is the, the cheapest link, but uh, again, I, there are people in the U.S. Mix, uh, mastering for 50 bucks. Yeah. And if someone really does not have the budget, I'll send it to them. If they really, really don't have the budget, I'll master. But it's just an art form I did not, you know, investigate enough. I'm yeah. not familiar enough so with. You, you probably do less is more when you're, if you're the one mastering. I, I don't want to master. Yeah. Until I've invested enough time and I feel confident enough. Yeah, this is a, a point for myself that I know I need to just stop doing is mastering things I'm working on. Because at a certain point, it's like I have no objectivity anymore. Mm -hmm. And I just need this off of my plate. Yeah. So mastering is when you've done the recording and the mixing, and then you're doing the mastering. At a certain point, you're just... Yeah. After you're, that you're out of You're out of emotional energy and 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 objectivity. Yeah, 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 completely. I, I would love... That's why I would love to send out mixing as well. But, you know, most of the times it's not really possible. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd maybe want to share with the audience? If there's like one tip um, I can give out is invest in your education. Like if there's something I would not... Like I do not think twice about regarding money is my education as uh, a professional. Like make buy a mix with the master's user. Like do it. It's amazing. You get private lessons from the world's best mixing engineers and producers. And I don't know whatever it is, Pure Mix, Groove Three, whatever it is, go for it. And you know. You, we don't need to go through what, you know, 20, 30 years ago people needed to go through, which is mopping floors and making coffee in order to see amazing techs doing their job. Right. You it's have all, it. It's all in our hands. Yeah. So Amazing. That would be a better investment than buying a new set of monitors. Really. Yeah, totally. All right, Hillel, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure speaking with you and learning from you. And uh, I'm sure the audience is going to love this conversation. Hopefully. So, yeah, have a great day, man. You too. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care, man. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Secret Sonics. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Hillel. I know I did. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. You can find out more about Secret Sonics at secretsonics.co. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Secret Sonics. We would really appreciate it if you would consider writing a review on iTunes if you enjoyed this show and recommending it to your friends. One more thing, we are totally open to feedback and suggestions. So if you have any ideas of things you'd want to hear about or even people you'd like to hear from, please let us know at secretsonics at gmail.com. That about wraps it up. So until next time, have a great week, guys. Take care. Take care.